Welcome back to the Rediscover the 80s podcast and another episode of Rank'em, the show that remembers your favorite things from the 1980s in a fun countdown format. I am your host, Jason Gross, and we are continuing to celebrate the 30th anniversary of 1988 on Rank'em. My guest for this episode is making his debut on the Rediscover the 80s podcast. He is the retro mastermind behind RetroRamblings.com, and he's also got a YouTube show called Retro Rewind with his daughter sometimes. And we've actually collaborated several times through his uh, Retro Roundtable and doing some blog shares together. Please welcome Mickey Yarber. How are you, Mickey? Doing good, Jason. So happy to be on your show because I listen quite often, and like I said, we've collaborated quite a bit in the past, and it's always fun remember the past with you so i'm looking forward to this today cool well i appreciate you being here and uh, appreciate what you do there on your website tell everybody that's listening if they haven't heard of you or heard of your website before what exactly you like to do over there anything that strikes my brain that i remember from a kid i put something up on the site retroramblings.com retro videos on like jason mentioned retro rewind show on youtube and i open old packs of cards on video so you can live vicariously through me opening and having a good time. And I'm starting to get into introducing a lot of the old fun stuff to my daughters. There's a video we put up a month ago of me teaching her how to play pogs and had a blast with that. She had never seen them before. And I got to go back, give me an excuse to go back and play pogs again. So (laughs) anything old and fun from the eighties and nineties, you know, we're just remembering it and helping you remember it too. I do uh, enjoy uh, Mickey's, uh, starting to do some podcasting and uh, we're talking about uh, those non-sports trading cards over there with Bonsai Retro Club. That was a really fun show to listen to. And you've kind of got me inspired to to go back and maybe start collecting some of those that I've uh, missed along the way. But yeah, that's really fun. I, th- I think we are a kindred spirit for sure, as far as what we like to post online and, and through our websites and such. Well, uh, tonight, me and Mickey are going to rank our top five TV shows that debuted in 1988. But before we get into our favorites, let's give a little context like I like to do. And we'll give you the top 10 shows as rated by the Nielsen Media Research through the fall of 1988 through the spring of 1989. And then I'll also give you a few little moments in TV history from that year. But first, the top 10 And we can just kind of buzz through these and see if any of these connected with you. Number 10 was Anything But Love on ABC. Um, I don't recall this one at all either. Uh, Number nine, Empty Nest on NBC. Do you remember Empty Nest? Yeah, we'll cover it more here in just a little while. (laughs) (laughs) Number eight, uh, the staple on Sunday nights, Murder, She Wrote on CBS. That show seemed like it ran for a decade at least. I, I don't know what the actual numbers are, but Miss uh, Jessica Fletcher seemed to be uh, up into the hundreds and hundreds of murders solved on that show. You know, I'd like to see what the murder rate of that small town in uh, New Hampshire, <laughs> wherever they were, because 
hell, how many people got murdered in that town? <laughs> well, anybody left. She, you know, I had to go to the next town or something. Interesting fan theory on that show that, that looking uh -huh. back in hindsight, that there's a theory that uh, Jessica Fletcher was a serial killer. And would commit the crimes in order to have a story to write and for murder. She I wrote. can, I can see that the show takes on a new perspective. If you try to watch it through those eyes, yeah, it's a lot <laughs> better way than it used to be. <laughs> okay. Uh, number seven, who's the boss on ABC? I watched, uh, who's the boss mainly occasionally in like reruns syndication more than the actual, you know, time frame when it was first broadcast. Yeah, you show it here and there, but never really connected with me too much. Me either. It never was my bag. Number six, the Golden Girls on NBC. And we uh, we talked about this a little bit on the 1987 show, but I did watch that one on occasion, uh, mainly with my grandmother. But I would watch episodes too in, in syndication. It was a Saturday night staple in our house with me and my mother. I love Golden Girls. I still love Golden Girls. <laughs> Number five was 60 Minutes. That was uh, always back-to-back -back there with Murder, She Wrote on Sunday nights on CBS. Longest two hours uh, of television. Yeah, that clock ticking. Uh, you know, you're waiting for that bomb to go off. <laughs> yeah. Just take the show out, please. <laughs> and when you're a kid without a television in your own room and your mom watches 60 Minutes of Murder, She Wrote every Sunday night, that's a long two hours right there. <laughs> Number four, Cheers on NBC. I have watched some Cheers. I've gone back and watched some Cheers along the way, too. I've never sat down and watched the whole, whatever, eight or nine seasons of it, though. I've watched a good portion of it. I, I'm a Woody fan. I like the Woody years, and especially even the later years when Wings was on right behind it, and, and they had a lot of uh, crossovers. Yes, Wings. Those, those are the Cheers years for me. Number three, A Different World on NBC. I did watch a different world, mainly, you know, back to back with the Cosby show. But uh, if you'll remember from 87, our 87 show, Cosby and different world were one and two. So in 88, Roseanne actually took over the number two spot on ABC. And uh, we'll talk probably a little bit more about Roseanne here in a minute, but it wasn't really one of the shows that ever connected with me that I watched like on a season to season basis. Uh, yeah. Roseanne. Same way on Different World, though. We watched it because it was on right after the Cosby Show. Yeah. That. And no surprise, number one is the Cosby Show in 1988, again, again on NBC. So uh, that's your top 10 from uh, 1988. Let's have a few moments in TV history. Uh, January 4th, 88, Nick Jr. made its debut. And featured shows like Pinwheel, Eureka's Castle, and then some of the uh, syndicated animated shows that they broadcast. David the Gnome, Adventures of the Little Koala, Curious George, and Belle and Sebastian. So I do remember watching Pinwheel, I think a lot earlier than that. Yeah, me too. Um, Not a thing. David the Gnome, I remember watching a little bit of David the Gnome here and there. I watched a lot of Nickelodeon as a kid. I remember Pinwheel. 88 was the year we got cable. It wasn't available where I grew up. And when we moved, it was the summer of 88. I got cable. But when I would stay with my aunt in 86, 87, I remember pinwheel being on. But 
never again, wasn't my bag. Even back then when I was supposed to like it, when I was six, seven years old, I didn't care much for it. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Uh, February 5th of 88, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant compete on WWF's The Main Event on NBC, which marked the return of professional wrestling to network primetime for the first time since 1955. So that was a big deal, uh, wrestling back in primetime. Still the most watched wrestling match in history. Ungodly 15-point whatever rating back in the day and, and nothing. Even the Monday Night Wars in the late 90s never even come close. Never even to touched it. Number of yeah. eyes with all that match. So. I can definitely see that. Uh, May 1st, Magnum P.I. broadcast its two-hour season finale, or series finale, I should say, on CBS. So that was, uh, I want to say it started in maybe 1980, somewhere in there, because it was, I know it was on, you know, about the time that uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark came out, which was 1980, because he was actually up for the part for uh, Indiana Jones. So that was a long show, eight or nine seasons there. Yeah. Hey, good news, though. He's coming back this fall, or the new version of him's coming back. Are you going to watch it? I'm going to give it a shot and see. I'm going to at least watch the pilot. Uh, just based on the trailer, have you watched the trailer? I have. Yeah, the trailer it, looked pretty cool. It it did. It looked a little uh, Fast and Furious style. It had uh, pretty much every car that he was in seemingly got destroyed in that trailer. So I'm like, well, what was he going to drive in, in the second episode? Because it seems like they went through every single Ferrari they could find. Well, I don't the, know. The wife and I are big fans of the modern Hawaii Five O, and we stream it all the time and. In the trailer, they mentioned the 5-0 team, so I imagine they're going to tie in at least for the first season. So I'm sure it will watch at least the whole first season if no other reason than my wife will make me. So I'll, <laughs> I'll let you know how it goes. Okay, okay. Yeah, we got into Y 5 the first uh, maybe like two seasons, and then uh, it ended with there. A lot of those uh, lost characters seemed to show up from time to time, which made me uh, hook because I watched a lot of Lost, but – uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I like that they brought back uh, TC's helicopter in mm -hmm. the uh, in the trailer too. So I'm, I'm curious. So we'll put it that way. Uh, a couple seasons ago on Hawaii Five O, they had to use a helicopter, and just as a visual Easter egg for this us old school fans, it was TC's helicopter that the Hawaii Five O uh, were using. So nice. That's good. I like that. Uh, a couple more here. July fourth. 1988, three years after its cancellation by ABC, CBS resurrects Family Feud for its daytime lineup featuring the new host, Ray Combs. I do remember watching a lot of Family Feud, and mainly with Ray Combs. Yeah, me too. Every sick day out of school. <laughs> and in the summertime. Right, summertime as well. Uh, August 9th. Special primetime edition of the Game of the Week, which featured uh, the first official night game at Wrigley Field between the Cubs and the Mets. I remember that being a big deal when that, uh, when that happened. I don't remember if I did watch the game or, or whatever, but I remember it being a big deal in the sports world at that time that they were going to finally do a night game at Wrigley. Oh, yeah. To this day, my cousin Mango is uh, says that having lights at Wrigley Field is still sacrilegious today. <laughs> it was you can see that. Yeah. Uh, all right. A couple more, and then we'll get into our list here. Uh, October 3rd, 
Turner Cable Channel TNT made its debut, and they debuted it by showing Gone with the Wind. I'm not sure how many viewers stuck around to watch that whole thing, <laughs> but uh, I remember TBS TNT watching a lot of those. And TNT, if I do remember correctly, was where I filled up a six or eight hour tape of the Pink Panther. They used to broadcast the Pink Panther in the morning, and I would tape uh, tape the episodes. They would also <laughs> broadcast it there in that first year at night at like uh, 7.30, 6.30, Anyway, when TNT debuted, I, like I said, I just got cable that year, and it, that became a nightly tradition was watching uh, Bugs Bunny and Friends or Looney Tunes, whatever they titled it, yeah. Raggle Rock and The Muppet Show, the old reruns. So, and I remember Pink yeah. Panther being in there some too. Yep. And then uh, last little bit here, November 3rd, talk show host Geraldo Rivera. He gets his nose broken during a taping of his show when a fight begins on the set between guests. And I remember that uh, pretty vividly as well. He had some uh, ruckus shows uh, from time to time. And I remember that making like national news that he got his nose broken, you know? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, that was a... a quick little look at 1988 television and uh, just quickly, you know, the ground rules for rank them. These are lists that are basically our personal favorites, you know, not what should be at the top or what was, you know, based on the the ratings or something. So these are just our personal favorites and uh, we're not going to do any animated shows. We'll maybe tackle the cartoons for uh, another rank them show. So we're just doing the, uh, the live action in prime time and, syndicated shows that were first came out in uh, 1988. So without further ado, Mickey, what is your number five pick for 1988? Number five, a little bit off the wall for a television show, but NWA main event wrestling. You know, in the March that year, they had the first Clash of the Champions. I guess technically that's a television show debut, but Ted Turner liked the ratings so much, he went to the NWA and said, hey, I want a uh, Sunday afternoon show with nothing but main event matches, and that's what they put on for the first several months anyway on Sunday afternoons. And as a hardcore wrestling fan back then, tuning in every week to see the top stars against each other, that was pretty awesome concept considering how wrestling normally was on television. But um, mm-hmm. I don't remember what all the matches on the first episode were. There were three. I don't remember the third one. I remember Dusty Rhodes and Ivan Koloff. And I remember the six-man tag with three of the horsemen against Sting, Barry Windham, and Lex Luger. And just (laughs) couldn't wait for the following week. Because, you know, this was before, again, the Monday Night Wars when that was a necessity to have main event matches all the time. Right. You would tune in. You'd see seven matches, none of them competitive. And you're just watching for the the storyline development. But then this come along, and you were actually able to watch just for the match quality itself. And that was was a big deal. TBS, I think it was – well, I was going to say what time it was, but it altered quite a bit because of Braves baseball and Atlanta Hawks basketball. Pre-game. Oh, yeah, that's Boom. right. It would like come on right after the, the game or something. Yeah, they, you know, I think it's normal time slot was 535, but some weeks it would be 335. Some weeks it'd be 735, just depending on the baseball schedule. So it was kind of hard to keep up with. You really had to want to watch it to find it a lot of times. And I usually found it. So, <laughs> yeah, I was trying to remember exactly what 
network it was, if it was TBS that it was on. But yeah, that was about the time I I watched a lot of WWF, mainly what was it? Uh, Saturday, was it the Saturday show that they had? I don't know. Anyway, I that, that's when I kind of got into wrestling was, I, I think as a kid was on the weekends. And of course, the Hulk Hogan's Rockin' Wrestling on Saturday morning. And then I do remember when the NWA kind of, starting out and I, I, I kind of got a little bit interested in that with the horsemen and sting and Lex Luger and all them. And, uh, but it was probably, I don't know, a lot later when I started watching like the, the NWA and WCW wrestling more or about the same as WWF. Well, then we're opposite because I actually cut my teeth on NWA and gotcha. I found WWF later. So, you know, usually whichever one you find first is the one you're a fan of, and the other just uh-huh. doesn't seem as nice. But regardless of which one I liked, Saturdays and Sundays, if it was wrestling and it was on, I was trying to watch it. WWF Superstars, Challenge, All-American. Uh, of course, like I said, we got cable then, so I had primetime on Monday nights. And the NWA Saturday night, main event, NWA Pro. Yeah, watched all yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it was – I was kind of saying – I vaguely remember an afternoon show maybe after school that they had on one of those cable networks and it i remember watching like the von erics and uh the great kabuki and uh oh gosh legends of world-class wrestling on espn every afternoon espn okay yeah i i remember watching that those names kind of uh, stand out to me just, you know, on the show. I remember the great Kabuki, like spitting that green stuff at people, you know, and my grandmother would be like, Oh, what are you watching? <laughs> well, and see, then you were, you were into retro before you knew it because that was 88, but those matches they were showing were from 83. They were already five years old at that. Oh, time. wow. Okay. Okay. I hadn't, I, I had no idea that that was the case. Yeah. Where they were doing that daily show, they ran from the first, I don't know, syndicated episode of world class, which started in 82 and they just ran them all the way up through current day. I think they caught up in 90, 91, just before they sold the company. So mm-hmm. yeah, you were watching the old stuff and didn't even know it. Cool. All right, let's go on to uh, my number five pick. And this one I kind of got into thanks to my dad who was uh, huge in the Fox. And this was one of those he had to watch and it was uh, America's most wanted. Hosted by uh, John Walsh. And my dad, I don't know what it was. He wouldn't watch any kind of news, current events and stuff. But, you know, you put the top criminals on TV, he's going to be watching, you know. Like he's going to be able to catch one. But that's where I kind of first started watching America's Most Wanted. And like I said, I remember it being a staple in our household for several years. Uh, I think it went back to back with cops. And we would watch that. I, I want to say it was maybe Friday night uh, that that was on. I can't remember where it off the top of my head. But yeah, it was just such an interesting show because, you know, up until like this first uh, little bit of reality type shows, you know, it was all just the cop drama shows, stuff that people like to watch, but it wasn't the, the real, you know, kind of real people they're putting on. TV and you actually put like an 800 number up there that you could call if you'd seen one of these jokers. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it was about it, but it, it sucked me in too with my dad. And 
So we're watching uh, all these, uh, you know, kind of go through and, and actually they would follow up. I, I think like they did with unsolved mysteries where if they catch one of them, then they'd feature it, you know, like on the next episode or something and thank the viewers for tips and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I think it lasted quite a while. If I do remember the show, I know it had to last up through the mid nineties. Cause we had a, a place at the lake and when it would be raining, we'd go in and on Friday nights, we'd watch it. And that would have been 93, 94, 95. So it was on a while, but can you imagine how good a programming block would be if you had America's most wanted with uh, unsolved mysteries and maybe rescue nine one one. That's good. about last, uh, that's a good three hours of television right there. No kidding, man. Yeah. We ought to start like our own channel. It's like the, uh, you know, I don't know, early reality mystery and crime solving network or something. But actually, I just looked it up. It was the longest running program in Fox's history. I guess up through the Simpsons now is past it, but it was on for 25 seasons. Wow. I didn't think yeah. it was that long. Yeah. I didn't think it was either, but up through June of 2011 was huh. when it was canceled. Yeah. I didn't realize that, but. Do you know if John Walsh was the host the whole time? Uh, kind of looks like he was. Still involved up through towards the end of it, at least. It did move to, it looks like it moved to Lifetime for one season at the end from Fox. I uh, <laughs> don't know why. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, and if you've ever heard his story, and I, I think he's featured it on the show and how he became the host and, you know, actually started the show, it's a real interesting story. Moved to Lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> On tonight's episode, we're looking for the man that bullied this girl's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. We we better stop there. I, I could go. <laughs> anyway, all right. So America's Most Wanted was my number five. What was your number four? And we're gonna go back to something you mentioned earlier on, and that's empty nest. Just how we do it is no mystery. I don't know if that's because of a lack of options of great 1988 TV shows or if it's the, or if it's the nostalgia for the whole night because my old man traveled a lot and more Saturdays than not, he wasn't home. My brother worked. And so it was just me and my mom at home on Saturday nights watching TV. And we had that routine down. 8 o'clock, NBC, 227, and then Amen. Golden Girls and the Empty Nest just falls right into there. You know, it's set in the same world with the Golden Girls and the characters crossed over from show to show. Uh, it was a good show on its own, not just as a part of the block. You know, you had uh, the doctor who was married, but his wife passed away and his daughters moved back home and he had the wacky neighbor. Well, he had, what was his name? Charlie on one side, wacky neighbor, yeah. but then he had the Golden Girls on the other side. So, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the old woman's name on the Golden Girls now. Sophia, she would come Sophia, in from yeah. time to time, and I don't. know. It was just a fun show. Everybody's trying to get Harry married off, and he's resisting it, and he just wants to live a peaceful life. And everybody keeps meddling. It was a fun show. Like I said, though, it may be more to do with nostalgia with my mother, but that was a pretty good lineup all the way through. And especially if you had a Saturday night where you're going to get Saturday night's main event at 11:30, not long after it. I mean you know, order some pizza and, and play some Nintendo while the news is on. And you've got a pretty powerful Saturday night right there. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. I'll talk a little bit more about empty nest a little bit later, but yeah, everything you mentioned, you know, the crossover with the golden girls, Charlie, uh, the Suzu guy, the, the next door neighbor, you know, that's always meddling. And then they brought in uh Roz, Marsha Warfield for a little bit towards the end too, that was on night court. So there was a lot to love about empty nest. And like I said, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit here, but. I don't remember what year it was now, but they added the show nurses too. And I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember that cool crossover they done about the hurricane and the hitting Miami. And, it, and I do remember that. Yes. So the golden girls, empty nested nurses. That was an early uh, crossover concept that worked pretty well for TV. If I remember right, I think me and my mom watched all three of those like event viewing. We knew it was coming because of TV guide. And we like, you know, we're going to be there to watch it. Type yeah. Stuff. Yeah. That I, I had totally forgotten about that, but it does ring a bell. The, uh, the crossover with the hurricane and what's going on with each of them that were set in that same world. And they like to do that. You know, it seemed like they created a world to see like, well, maybe we can spin this off later. And they would, you know, pop in a few characters here and there to see if the audience gravitated towards them, you know? Well, that's a smart way to do it. It is. Yeah, it really is. You take a popular show and just try to, grabbing uh, one of those characters and spin off. So very good choice. I like that choice. Um, number four for me, uh, we're going to go back to Saturday morning. And I don't know what it is about this guy, but I remember watching this. It didn't last very long. As a matter of fact, I think it was only the one season. Uh, hey, Vern, it's Ernest <laughs> on Saturday morning. Oh, my gosh. Hey, Vern. Today's your lucky day. We knew you wouldn't want to oversleep, Vern. We only do it once a week, Vern. Me and all the other guys, Vern. We even brought the pies, Vern. I don't know what it was about Ernest, but I loved the the mix of the show because they would do the sketches, and I think they had some other things in between, like little cartoons or something. It was kind of like Pee Wee's Playhouse almost, but... <laughs> Jim Varney and all of his characters, you know, the, the mom and the, then he had this, uh, I think Bobby, I don't know if Bobby and his brother were on the show. I, I think Bobby was, but those two guys and just everybody that he would come up with all those characters popping in, you know, on the show, it made it entertaining for me for the, uh, whatever 12 year old that I was to watch it. Uh, did you, did you watch it? I watched it on and off, but I was always a big fan of the Ernest movies in general. And they seem to get a lot of flack. Uh, maybe this is not a good way to put it, but the Ernest movies are not well-respected in the movie community. But Jim Varney was a comedic genius for all the characters he created and the world that he helped create. Uh, whether you know or not, Jim Varney was a classically trained actor. Uh, he mm-hmm. went to uh, Europe and traveled, and he actually homesteaded right here next to me at the famous Barter Theater here in Abingdon, right down the road. For years, he was, you know, a, a lead uh-huh. actor around here before he became famous. But a comedic genius, just a genius all the way around. The you could watch a lot of his parts, and he's been in a few other things besides the earnest stuff where he's playing straight, and he just blows you away with his acting. And it's a shame he didn't get the respect for what he created because. Critical acclaim, maybe not, but if you add up the dollars that all of his productions made, that man, that's, you know, generally that's the whole point in entertainment is to make money with it, and he did that, so he shouldn't get the bad rap that he gets from a lot of people. 
Yeah, I can see that. And I think it's because he kind of came up in the, like the advertising world, you know, and he was doing commercials first. I think it was really when he got recognized as Ernest mm-hmm. and didn't really get, you know, coming through the advertising industry, which is not really well respected anyway. And then trying to get into Hollywood, I can, you know, I can see why people might have put their nose down to him. But I don't know. I, I think you're right in, in the respect that he had a lot to give and a lot of people overlook how talented he was uh, just for the little, you know, having a, a an audience of children, mainly you don't get the, you're not going to get the respect. Right. And I know, but he did win a daytime Emmy for that show. I just saw that. So for what it's worth, that yeah. he did get a little bit of respect when that show came on. So, and I know why it gives you a lot of crap, but I'm with you on watching Ernest Saves Christmas every year. I mean, that, that's your tradition <laughs> around here. Yes. To, I'm not sure if that's a real supportive because we also watch a very Brady Christmas every year here too. So our judgment on classic Christmas made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Brady's no, I, I probably wouldn't watch that one, but. I remember watching Ernest Goes to Camp in the movie theater when it first came out. And from there on, I was hooked on Ernest. So for what it's worth, yeah, uh, Christmas, I, I'll I'll back you. I'll back anybody up 100% on watching that one. <laughs> well, Ernest Goes to Camp holds a special place, Mark, for two reasons. One, it was just damn funny. But two, my uncle who lived next to us where I grew up got the first VCR around that we had. The first uh-huh. movie he rented in the first movie I watched on VCR was Ernest Goes to Camp. So that, you know, <laughs> that that's a milestone, if nothing else, in my life, watching Ernest Goes yeah. to Camp in VCR. And that was truly a, a a family movie. You know, it it was rated G, no real cussing, and it was a little, you know, I, I can't remember. It's been so long since I watched it. You know, there's a little rude humor now and then that, that comes out, you would say, but that's one that I can definitely share with my kids, all of the Ernest movies pretty much and, and be totally fine with it. You know, that was another good thing about Ernest, but okay. Well, enough about Ernest. Let's get on to your number three pick. Yeah. Kind of going the opposite direction from Ernest in the heat of the night with Carol O'Connor. Paired right behind Matlock on NBC on Tuesday nights. That was a the Tuesday night viewing in our house because Dad was mm-hmm. in town. And matter of fact, I go see my old man now in the afternoons, and he's still watching In the Heat of the Night on WGN every day. But <laughs> you know, I would have been ten when that debuted. I may not have really got into it until a year or two into it myself. But I remember it being for a ten-year-old, it would hold my attention. You know, even though it wasn't a kid's show then, I could watch it and get into it. And I go watch it with him now, and it still holds up today. You know, 30 years later, it's still a, other than the outdated looking cars and there's no cell phones, other than that little stuff, it still holds up today as a really good show in general, but a police show especially. Mm-hmm. And uh, big cast of characters, Bubba Skinner. Bubba. Virgil Tibbs. And Carol O'Connor's character, um, just your normal, I ain't going to say normal procedural cop show. There was generally a murder, and usually you had racial tension in every episode being set in Sparta, Mississippi. 
you would have the inclinations that this was a race driven crime, but it would usually turn out that it wasn't of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just a really good cop show. Uh, and one, again, nostalgia plays a big part that watching it with the whole family, but I can remember watching it from the time it come on up through the series finale. So it was one I stuck with all the way through. And that's more than I can say for most yeah. shows on this list today. Cool. Yeah. I, it was one that I remember catching an episode here and there, uh, mainly in reruns. Uh, my wife loved the show and I remember we watching uh, a few episodes from time to time uh, when it would be just on cable or whatever uh, when we first got married. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it was just the fact that uh, I, I couldn't get him Carol O'Connor as Archie Bunker out of my head or something, but it just wasn't one that I got into and would watch like on a weekly or uh, even have gone back to watch. Uh, but I know it's got a lot of critical acclaim and, what I do remember the episodes, like you were saying, it got me into that world of racial tension uh, more than I'd ever really been into on some of those shows. And uh, it, it, that seems to stick out in my mind is, is what I remember from the show from when I did watch it. Yeah. And so. uh, unfortunately for me at the time, I've since remedied this, but I was not familiar with Carol O'Connor as Archie Bunker. I had never watched Archie Bunker all in the family up until that point. That was my introduction to Carol O'Connor as an actor. So for me, it was kind of the opposite. I, I watch in the heat of the night. And then later, as I got older, I go back and try to watch all in the family. And it seems like, you know, <laughs> such a weird character compared to what I was used to seeing. <laughs> On in the heat of the night, he ended up marrying the black DA. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Then you try to watch him. All it's in the totally night. opposite. Maybe that was a brilliant part of casting for In the Heat. Of course, he played in the movie, too. But just the way they wrote his character in the heat of the night was brilliant. Just to go opposite of how he had always been written on television before. Yeah. And I'm sure that was intentional. I would guess by him just to, you know, kind of get away from that typecast. But yeah, so I was the opposite of that. And kind of going into that, you're like, okay, wow. You know, it's. It is eye-opening from his character on All in the Family, which my grandmother would stay up. She was a night owl, and she would stay up and just watch reruns of sitcoms, and that was always in the mix. I remember watching that with her. So, yeah, that was a little bit eye-opening as far as his typecast on... Anyway, okay. Well, that's a good pick, man. I I can totally back you on that one. Uh, You might not back me on this one for my number three pick, but uh, I'm going to do it anyway. We we talked a little bit about it on our uh, our memory jogger with the game shows, and that's the uh, Fun House. Hey, potato heads! I'm gonna dry my hair with the world's biggest hair dryer today on Fun House. And now here's the guy who puts the fun in Fun House, JD Rod. Which was a kids' game show on Fox. And it was just something that, I don't know, it, a, a lot of these shows that had the obstacle course or had this crazy end game, bonus game at the end of the show, you know, as the ultimate goal to get to, I don't know, a lot of those sucked me in. And like I said, I watched a lot of Nickelodeon, a lot of uh, game shows as a kid. So this fit perfectly. It was hosted by J.D. Roth. <laughs> and he was on, I think, a couple other kids' game shows. I'll have to look him up. But uh, this was a fun little mix of 
the physical challenges. Uh, they had the twin cheerleaders that were like the co-hosts. And, you know, the ultimate goal was to get to the funhouse at the end and pull these uh, tags to win prizes and cash. And they had some crazy stuff, you know, uh, just the, it, it was literally like a funhouse you would find at a fair, although it was, you know, on a huge stage set. And uh, I don't know. I just loved watching the show. But do you remember watching that show at all? Did you get into oh, game shows as a kid? I got into game shows, but I can't add nothing to the funhouse because that's the first okay. time I've even heard of it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I was a big fan of Double Dare and Legends of the Hidden Temple and I'm Telling and, uh, uh-huh. That, that other one you and Wyatt talked about on the 87 show on Nickelodeon, uh, where they're in the house, look, finders, keepers. Find, finders, keepers. Yep. And, and it sounds like it's, it's a kind of a mix of all those. So I would probably be into it, but yeah, it's, and it's available over on YouTube. There's a, I found a few episodes here and there. Don't know if it's ever been released to like, you know, DVD or anything like that. I don't think it has, but it was just a fun kid show. And it was, yeah, it was in the same vein as finders, keepers and double dare. And a, a lot of those, uh, trying to get through that obstacle course at the end. So, well, if I'd have seen it, I would have probably been a fan from the sounds of things. I just, I'd never seen or heard yeah. of it just now. It was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was a Saturday morning show, but it was syndicated. So I don't think it was necessarily, uh, you know, on every, it was on like, well, it was on Fox for a while, but then I think before that it was syndicated. So it was on different networks too. But it was mainly shown, I think, in that time slot on Saturday mornings where they did show some kids' game shows. Hmm. So, but anyway, that was, uh, I do remember that a lot and being one of those shows that I really wanted to be on, too, you know. <laughs> and I, I, I want to say, too, there was a lot of these kids' shows that had like the, the home game, you know, if you like one of the consolation prizes was you win the home game of Double Dare. <laughs> and I think it was one of those shows that they had like a funhouse board gamer home game that you could play and i i don't know I, I never got one of those home games i don't know if they even sold them in the stores at the time when the these shows were on the air but i don't know that was always one of those things you're like i want the home game too i want to play this at home you know how do you play double dare at home you you could yeah. you could do it now because you can get all those you know make your own slime and stuff and <laughs> be a lot easier now but if I don't know. Slime, my mother would not have allowed it in, to be played at home. So I could have went on double <laughs> there and won a play at home game. And she'd have just told him to keep it because she was not messes <laughs> at that point in time. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, what's your number two? Uh, this pick is more for what it became than what it actually was. And that's good morning. Miss bliss. There's no way of knowing what lies ahead or where the road is going. The free runner to Save by the Bell. Come on, Disney Channel in 88. Featured Zach, Lisa, Screech, Mr. Belding, and some other assorted characters. And lasted a season and got the axe and was kind of retooled for a year or so and turned into Save by the Bell in high school. And the rest is history as we know it. But uh, Haley Mills starred as Miss Bliss. I don't think I've ever read or understood why she wasn't included in the Saved by the Bell version of it. I guess maybe just because it was the difference between Disney and NBC and she was a Disney, maybe under contract to Disney, who knows. But even when uh, TBS would show reruns of Saved by the Bell in syndication in the 90s and they would start their run with Good Morning Miss Bliss, it was okay. It wasn't as good as Saved by the Bell, but you at least got to see 
some of the characters in the middle school setting before you saw them in the high school setting. I don't really remember any of the storylines from Good Morning, Miss Bliss, as well, nearly as well as I do from Saved by the Bell. Right. But uh, without it, we wouldn't have had Saved by the Bell. So for that reason alone, it would get a spot on my list of favorite shows from 1988. Cool. Yeah, I did not did not make my uh, list uh, just because I guess I, I never had the Disney Channel. We didn't have like the extended package on cable. So and I think that was maybe even a pay channel uh, at the time. But it was one that I've never really I don't think I've ever watched all episodes of it. But like you, yeah, I can see the the homage. Hey, it became Saved by the Bell. So if it's got Mr. Belding in it, I'd, I'd watch pretty much anything. He was always my favorite. But good pick with that one. I, I can appreciate that pick. Even at well, number two, man, that's. It's on the list because, like, you know, it turned into Saved by the Bell. It's at number two just because it wasn't a great year for television shows in 1988. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, look at me. I'm putting kids shows, you know, at three and four. Well, you know, uh, I'm kinda, I was kind of ended up ranking Miss Bliss, I guess, as if it were Saved by the Bell. And Saved by the Bell would have been number two on this list. So that's that's where it went. Okay, I- I'll buy that. I'll buy that. <laughs> okay, uh, number two for me, <laughs> my taste in music in 1988 was all over the board. I'll say, and it was really into rap and hip hop. I knew this is several really years. This. Yes, yes. Um, so num- my number two is Yo MTV Raps. And I remember watching, uh, watching it almost every day. Ed Lover, Dr. Dre, you know, Fab Five Freddy. And this is where you got, you know, what the latest uh, songs and, and everything that was out. And they do funny little things in between. I remember spring break, you know, they'd always like bust out the Ed Lover song. And he'd do his little dance, you know. <laughs> uh, but Yo! MTV Raps, I just love watching these guys. And at one point... Uh, this I, I, this is probably early '90s because I know Naughty by Nature was early '90s, but they did like a promo for Yo MTV Raps that was "You Down with MTV," yeah, you know me, you know, like the OPP yeah. song, and uh, that somehow sticks out in my mind. But yeah, I don't know. I I watched it religiously, and you know, being the uh, the white kid in rural Pennsylvania, I was you know I. Assuming I got looks from people <laughs> from what came out of my, what eventually come out of my car or my boom box or whatever at the time. But well, I should have put this on my list. It's on my honorable mentions, but okay. Because of the negative uh, publicity rap music was getting at the time in the media, my mother was against rap music mm-hmm. and, uh, my brother was big into rap music and I I liked it too at that point in time. So it was contraband in our house. It was taboo. But when she would go to the store of the afternoons in that magical four o'clock hour or whatever, man, that that's where the television channel went when we had cable, my brother and I just watching yo MTV raps and kind of listening for the car to come in so we could change channels real quick. (laughs) 
And and maybe that's why I fondly remember it because you know you generally want the things you can't have, and at the time we couldn't have that. But by God, right, we, found right. way, we found a way to at least two days a week to get it, whether we were supposed to or not. So I was a big Ed Lover fan. I still like Ed Lover. If Ed Lover had a show on today, I would probably seek it out and check it out. <laughs> yeah, no, and it was kind of the same way for me. My my mom listened to pop music, so. She she got some of the and this was about the time, you know, when rap, I mean, 88 was when they had the first rap Grammy Award, you know, and it was hitting the top 40. So she I remember her listening like Tone Loke and, you know, some of those rap songs that probably, you know, a lot of people wouldn't have a lot of respect for just because it was top 40. But she allowed a, a little bit more than in probably what the normal person would. But uh, I was careful too to pick which ones I was buying. So, uh, you know, four letter words weren't coming out of my bedroom, you know, on occasion and she would come in and try to take it away from me. But at the same time, you know, you got, you could kind of decipher a little bit too on MTV during uh, like MTV raps or just even during the regular programming when one of these songs would come on and you know where the bleeps are, you know, where, how much they're bleeping out and <laughs> you can, uh, you can kind of gauge that. So you're not, you know, Yes, at the time, you know, your parents are your censors and you, you you don't want to be censored by them. But that was the reality kind of back then, I guess, more than probably now. <laughs> you know, I was 10 years old in 88. So when you're 10, you pretty much do what you're told at that point or suffer the consequences. And Very so true. We just, we just snuck around and done it. You know, like all kids yeah. do when they're barred from something, they find ways. My kids find ways to do things I don't want them to do. It's nature. It's true. It is nature. Yes. Very true. All right. We've reached it. What's your number one? Uh, this lands at number one because I probably watched it more than any other show. And I probably watched it episodes, multiple viewings than any other show. And that's Roseanne. see uh of course you know we talked earlier on the rundown about who's the boss i never did watch who's the boss i didn't even remember catching the end of it as it led into roseanne i mean roseanne was kind of tune in watch roseanne my mom watched it uh i think roseanne has three distinct eras to it though you've got the early the first two seasons and, and then what i call the golden period was after that and then the later years that people don't quite fondly remember but i think i was a fan of all of it up to the last year or two the changes in the show, Roseanne working at the factory to start with and moving on to the lunch counter. And it was always fun following Jackie's career or lack thereof. Sometimes, you know, I'm a policeman, I'm this, I'm that. And, uh, but, but Dan, John Goodman held the show together for me. Dan was my favorite character. He was always, uh, to me, he was the backbone of the show. Everything. Some people would say, you know, it's, of course it's titled Roseanne. It played off Roseanne, but I think everything played off of Dan. Uh, Roseanne's best stuff come with Dan. Uh, it, well, everybody's best interactions and most memorable stuff on the show came involving Dan. So John Goodman to me held the show together. The Halloween episodes, I think not just to me, but to a lot of people are kind of legendary. Even though I don't go back and watch old Roseanne. Now I do have a DVD of the best Halloween episodes and that is yearly fall viewing for us. It's the best of Roseanne Halloween. 
So it still has that watchability. I did not watch the new show when it came out and I don't even want to touch on the controversy. It's come since then with it, but uh, I was happy for everybody who wanted to see Roseanne rebooted. But for me that what it was, was what it was. And I didn't need a newer version of it. I would probably just as soon to go back and watch the old episodes versus even trying the new show. But yeah, it's number one on the list because again, it was a week, 1988, not to say Roseanne was a weak show. I'd say you could probably do this show with a hundred guests and well over 75% of those would have Roseanne somewhere on their list. So it's not just me. It was a popular show and, and well-remembered for good reason. But I, I think for some reason, I want to say that I remember not even calling it Roseanne back then as a kid. I remember saying, let's watch Dan. So, you know, John Goodman, I become a huge fan of his at that point. And I liked him in Raising Arizona that I had just seen just before <laughs> Roseanne started and thought he was super funny. So uh, then I seen him on Roseanne. I'm like, hey, it's that guy. And uh, I was hooked from that point on. I remember that with Jackie because she was on Uncle Buck. And every time I was, that's, you know, that's the neighbor lady uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's hitting on Buck. But uh, for me, I, I don't know what it was. I just never really connected with Roseanne. Uh, I remember watching it more when it was like reruns on TBS, I think, later on after, you know, it pretty much had ended. And I know if, like you, if I was going to go back and watch it now, it'd, it'd be the Halloween episodes because I know those are, highly regarded and they were really super fun too to watch. Uh, and it just became one of those, I don't know, kind of weird traditions, you know, like, I guess like the, uh, the tree house of horror with the Simpsons that, uh, people look forward to every year, you know, mm-hmm. with Roseanne, when the, when's the Halloween episode going to hit. And yeah, I, I don't know what it was. It, I just, if it wasn't, I, I didn't connect with a specific character like you did to, to get me to watch it a whole lot. But, uh, yeah, I I respect it as a number one position, and I agree that probably I don't know eighty ninety percent I would say would have it on a top five list. Hmm. I'm just in the minority on that <laughs> on that one that it made an honorable mention, but I didn't I didn't rank it just because it wasn't one that I watched a whole lot of. Uh, it didn't connect with me. I will say this about the whole thing that went down. I am happy they are continuing on at least seemingly at this point without her after, you know, the whole comments and everything that she said, uh, just because it, like you had thought that you you didn't even associate her with the show. It's more than her. It's her name might be billed on the show, but the supporting cast and characters brought so much that you just can't say that was her show. Right. I'm I'm glad they're continuing on. And don't get me wrong, that show was built for Roseanne because of her stand-up comedy. I mean, that that show right. was designed, it was to be around Roseanne, but it didn't take very long at all because of the writing and the, the actors who were playing the characters for it to become a full ensemble show, whether it was ever intended to be or not. By the end of the first season, early second season, you knew, looking back on it now, you knew that this is more than just Roseanne and uh, whether it started that way or not, but... You know, Roseanne, I'm switching tabs here just to look at something. Mm-hmm. Roseanne was on Tuesday nights at 8.30, which is the same time as Matlock. So I'm guessing that when Dad was home, it was Matlock. And when he wasn't, me and Mom were watching Roseanne. But it's competition at that time. NBC had Matlock on for an hour. 
CBS had a show called TV 101 on for an hour from eight to nine. So that probably wasn't much competition. And it had a strong lead in with who's the boss. So Roseanne, other than facing Matlock head to head, Roseanne probably benefited from the schedule, the time slot it was in quite a bit too, to gain mm-hmm. its early following. It stood on its own after that, but to get eyes on it to begin with, it was in a pretty nice spot, it looks like. Yeah. Well, the ratings, like we mentioned, it definitely showed that. And it I haven't looked at the full ratings, you know, over the years, but I'm sure it was highly rated for the the length of the show. Maybe well, even it, top ten for the whole time, but uh, maybe towards the end when it it did, like you say, it kind of trailed off. Maybe that's that's when it did get canceled. Finally, I don't I don't recall. Well, it was sandwiched in between Who's the Boss, which you mentioned earlier, was in the top ten, and mm-hmm. right after it was Moonlighting, which was uh, probably not a top ten show, but it was. It was a well-watched show, so it, it was mm-hmm. part of a powerhouse lineup, it looked like, on Tuesday nights when it debuted. That's a good place to put a new show. They know what they were doing. Right. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's a very honorable number one pick. Uh, I, again, this was hard for me. I was looking at the, the animated shows like when we were t- <laughs> first coming up with this, and I was like, I think I'd rather do the animated shows than the live action because... I didn't have a whole lot that I connected with, but having said that, probably the one I did connect with most in my number one choice was Empty Nest. And wow. yeah, I, I went ahead and put it at number one. I I loved pretty much every character on the show, and it like you said, it, it probably benefited from being connected with the golden girls and the time slot and, and all that to pick up all of the viewers that it did during those first, I don't know, probably two or three seasons at least. Uh, and then later on, I think probably when the ratings might've dropped a little bit, or maybe when it was that golden girls went off the air was when they added Sophia as a cast member to the show. And she was on for, I think one or two seasons, probably in like the, I don't know, third or fourth season. And oh, they brought I her on full time. I remember after Golden Girls, they done Golden Palace, and mm-hmm. then when it went away, the reason Sophia was on Empty Nest in storyline was that after she had left the hotel business and the other girls, she had moved into some retirement home down the street from. Right. That's why she was always ah. I forgot all of them. That's been thirty years ago, but now I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was in the the retirement home there, but yeah, I mean, I. The characters, of course, and the uh, the character that usually got me cracking the most was Laverne. Yeah, she was, you know, Park overall. She played her very well. I think she actually won several Emmys for her. But she just had that wit and those one-liners that just got me. And and she kind of kept everybody on a on her level too. Where the minute somebody would start, you know, cracking on her, she had that comeback, boom, right there, put them in their place, you know, and she did that with uh, Harry and, and all of his daughters and everything too. And then everybody there at the, at the hospital, she was probably my favorite character on the show. And, and even Charlie next door, he, I don't know, I don't know what it is about David Leisure, but he cracks me up. <laughs> even if you go back and watch those Isuzu commercials, uh, I don't know. He's just got that, He's got that used car salesman personality, and it it he basically plays the same character on everything that he was ever in. But yeah, 
he's who I want to be when I finally grow up. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and I do remember episodes too. It seemed like, um, and I think this was while Golden Girls was on, but they would have Dorothy on. They would have Betty White and Rue McClanahan. They, They had them all, not all at the same time, but like they would somehow pop into the, the hospital or something was going on and they would write him into the story and they would stop by. So I think a lot of my affection towards the show has to do with them making those appearances. And I, you know, you talking about that hurricane crossover, I had totally forgot about that, but yeah, I mean, that was great. I'd love to watch those episodes of all of those shows again when they, when they did that. Yeah, I was just thinking I'm going to have to try to find a way to track those three individual episodes down, and I'll just make that a good Sunday night here at home at some point is watching that. But, you know, my mom and I, we watched that NBC lineup on Saturday nights, and I can remember Air Pop Popcorn and Ice Cream and those shows, 227, Amen, and everything else. And, gosh, those were just good times back then. Oh, yeah. Oh, 227, Amen. I've watched the heck out of those, too. Uh, mainly because of my grand, but she loved, she, like I said, she loved all the reruns. So it was natural when they, when you had, uh, what's her name? Marla, Marla uh, Gibbs, Gibbs, Marla Gibbs. It, well, I don't think it was a direct spinoff of the Jeffersons, but that was, she was about everybody's favorite character. I think on that show, cause she mm-hmm. just always put George in, in his place too. So that was a great show with, you know, Jack a and, and all those characters on there as well and then amen was that was kind of weird too seeing george as the deacon you know on there (laughs) uh but you think how much time has changed since 1988 that saturday nights is dead television space but look at the power lineup nbc was running on saturday nights then big you know household name stars in their own shows with marla gibb and uh, sherman hemsley and yeah, Golden Girls was a major show for them, and Empty Nest turned out to be a good show for them. Uh, you don't see those kind of lineups on Fridays and Saturdays anymore. They're, they're just don't. dead air. It's very true. Okay, well let's uh, let's go into some quick honorable mentions here. What did you have on your list? Well, I had Yo MTV Raps that we already covered, and I felt like uh, I would lose uh, retro cred if I didn't at least put The Wonder Years as an honorable mention. I yeah. watched it. I would probably say 30% of the episodes in its original run, just here or there, nothing else going on, no ball game on a Wednesday night. I may tune in and watch it, but there was nothing I was ever crazy about. Some of the episodes I watched were pretty good on their own. I did like the little, uh, I could identify at that time with the crush that Kevin had on Winnie Cooper and the struggles that went along with that of letting her know yet not wanting her to know that, you know, he had a crush on her and, and the geeky friend, Paul. So it was a good show. Those were really the only two I had on the uh, honorable mention list because there was not a lot to choose from. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and again, I'm kind of embarrassed that the Wonder Years really never connected with me. And uh, I don't know if it was just the, I went for the sitcoms more than the dramatic type shows at the time, but uh, I've, I've never really gone back and watched the Wonder Years. I've watched episodes here and there throughout you know, when they were on uh, syndication and stuff too, but, and I know, you know, I know the characters, I know kind of the, the gist of the show, but uh, never one that I really connected with. So for whatever reason, <laughs> talking, talking to a friend of mine here a while back about it, 
he's retro minded as well. And he was talking about wonder years. He goes, I don't know what the appeal of the show was. I said, man, you got to think that would be our parents version of the Goldbergs. You know, we watched the Goldbergs to go back to that time and and they watched the wonder years to go back to their time. So I could see how, how it was a hit, you know, with people like me, if I, if I was an adult in the eighties and grew up in the sixties, I'd have probably been a big fan of the wonder years. Just, it was a little before my time. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, another one I had on my honorable mentions was dear John. That was a sitcom. Don't remember too much about it. The, uh, Oh, the blonde haired actor. I always liked him. Um, it's going to, I'm going to have to look it up now, but, uh, I can't remember exactly when I, I think it was one of those Thursday nights that they put dear John on. I think it was an NBC show. It was, it was and, on after cheers and things. And, uh, yeah, I do remember watching that and, and the soundtrack, uh, the theme song, just singing dear John, he come home one day from work and his wife had left him a dear John letter and he's, he's coping right. with it. And they have a little bit of supporting, ensemble cast there too i don't remember the details much but i do remember watching it quite a bit though so yeah i must have enjoyed it, it but yeah i mean it was in the mix like i said with uh just the the other shows that were on at the time looks like it was post cheers for a while and post night court for a while so that was probably why uh i picked it up and then one that probably it was probably out of your viewing area we picked up WWOR in central Pennsylvania out of uh, New Jersey. It was like WGN, basically. And they had a show, I think it was a Saturday morning show called Steam Pipe Alley. And this was with uh, the comedian Mario Cantone. And it was kind of like, a, it was a children's program. They had, uh, I think they did like skits and they had little puppets and stuff. And they would bring celebrities on from time to time too. And it it was kind of a little bit like, uh, hey, Vern, it's Ernest. I think they had little cartoon uh, intercessions in between episodes. But the the host, Mario, he he did a lot of uh, like celebrity impressions. Like he would do like a Julia Child like cooking show. And for some reason, I remember him being uh, Sammy Davis Jr. You know, some of those uh, celebrities like that. And he's been around. He's, he, I think he was mainly a stand-up comic. I've heard him on the uh, the Gilbert Gottfried podcast. He's been on there, I think, a couple times. But um, it was one I remember watching Saturday mornings on uh, on that WWOR channel hmm. uh, out of New Jersey. Uh, but that's pretty much it. I, I did have Roseanne as an honorable mention too. So those were my four honorable mentions. Now you said you you had a TV guide. Yeah, I got a TV Guide fall preview from 1988. And getting ready for this, I was looking through it, and I was coming across shows that I don't remember hearing anything about. Well, some of them I do. I just never watched. But there was a couple. There was one that I never hear about that starred Tim Daly, you know, from Wings. It was called Almost Grown, and it was about this married couple. It was an hour-long show, but it recapped their life through the decades of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So that sounded like an interesting concept. And the pictures they show, you see them at Woodstock, you see them with the leisure suits in the 70s, and then you see them dressed like uh, characters from Miami Vice in the 80s. I'm thinking, I would like to go back and find that now to watch as a period piece and see how they interpreted everything. 
And Tim Daly, I loved on Wings. Of course, this would be a drama, not a comedy. I don't know how well that plays to his strengths, but it, uh, I'm sure it would be interesting to check out. Uh-huh. But then some other shows that came out that would probably, if we at least don't mention, people are going to be upset by. Murphy Brown debuted in 1988, I think. Oh, it did? Yeah. I, I was thinking it was uh, maybe later. Uh, but, yeah, it was one... I remember uh, parents watching, but it just never, never really connected with me. And I know they're rebooting it too. And a lot of people are excited about that. Well, if it came later, at least in the fall of 88, TV guide was expecting it to debut because they got a whole page. (laughs) Mary Tyler Moore had a new show in 1988 where she's living with her daughter and grandson in New York. Never heard of Mm -hmm. it. it. Dirty dancing. The TV series debuted in 88. (laughs) <laughs> I had not seen Dirty Dancing, the movie, at that point that the TV series would have come out, so it probably didn't register with me. But now I'm kind of curious. I'd like to go back and check out an episode or so and see what it was like. There are several of those 80s movies that spun off a TV series kind of in that time frame. I did a piece on Rediscover the 80s from uh, 1990 that had several. It was like Uncle Buck and Ferris Bueller those type shows, uh, look who's talking. It's, it's amazing how many that actually spawned a TV series that really didn't last more than whatever the first order of, of episodes. And well, uh, I, I don't even recall who starred in the dirty dancing TV series. So that would have been Patrick Cassidy and Melora Hardin. I'm not familiar. Okay. <laughs> I'll take your, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Another movie turned TV series in 1988, Baby Boom. I think I remember seeing an episode or two of that, maybe. I have seen that movie because of my wife, but uh, it's been a while. Uh, This is one that I wish I had to watch then now. Mission Impossible television series debuted in 1988. And uh, the last one I have here is ABC Saturday Night Mystery Movie. That was a series uh, rotating three different two-hour movies in revolving fashion. One was Columbo, which was a staple in, in series like that. Of course. Then you had Burt Reynolds starring in one that was untitled as of the writing, where he was a retired New York policeman who moved to Florida to become a private investigator in a series of two-hour films. As big, as big of a Burt Reynolds fan as I am, I think I would have come across that, so maybe that didn't end up happening. And then the final one starred Lewis Gossett Jr. as an anthropology professor who traveled the world kind of Indiana Jones style. That would have been Weird. a pretty good revolving series to watch on Saturday nights back then. Yeah. If all that actually came to pass. And uh, <laughs> well, you, you would think it did at least for a little bit because this fall preview is dated October 1st, 1988. So at that point, you would think it was pretty well locked into the schedule. Yeah. Yeah, of course, Columbo. I don't know. It seemed like there was a Columbo movie on every weekend somewhere. And I, I, that was more, I guess, my parents' generation to watch. And I've, I've never really got into those films. But uh, he, I know he was around for a very long time doing the show and movies. You know, Yeah, he before this, before 88, he would have been in the revolving mystery movie with Macmillan and wife. Uh, NBC, maybe. I think NBC had. I know my parents watch a lot of Columbo. 
you know, you could go straight from murder. She wrote to Columbo and, and uh, I would just go to bed at 7 PM on Sunday night. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. You got anything else for us out of that preview? Uh, no, it's got a bunch of good looking ads in it though. <laughs> Well, you might have to scan that and uh, and put it up there on Rancher Ramblings. Remember Joe Camel from the Camel ads there? Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I probably will scan a bunch of these in at some point. But uh. yeah, I, I watched the uh, the video where you're flipping through the comic book with all the ads, and those a lot of those. I don't know. I get excited about stuff I haven't seen before. There was an issue of what was it? I just picked up. And it had a, a picture of one of the Ninja Turtles on the back holding up a cassette. And it was for, a, I think, a book and tape, like storybook, that they had on the back of the cover. And I was like, that is a very cool ad. I had to snap it. I think I put it up on Instagram. But I don't know what it is about those ads, too. I love looking at vintage ads and seeing almost like new art, you know, mm-hmm. to me. The... uh when I was at the comic convention yesterday, I picked up, I don't know, a handful, 20 or so cheap quarter books, 50 cent books. And I'm looking at them, not for what they are and not for what the story is. I'm opening the inside cover, the back cover and looking at the back and I'm finding the ones with good ads. <laughs> I do. I do the same thing. So, cause I know <laughs> if those three ads are good, chances are the rest of them within the book are going to be at least decent or for some, the right era and the right type of products. Yeah. A lot of them, you get the staple, you know, like the superpowers action figure collection, you know, a lot of those are in those. And is it Hubba Bubba or one of the bubble gum ads I've seen in tons of those, but every once in a while you do find one uh, for video games or something in there. You're like, Oh man, this is just, this is glorious. I want it as a poster and you know, well, I don't I found, know my wall somewhere, but I found one yesterday. My favorite Nintendo game was Castlevania two Simon's quest. I have never seen any kind of advertising for it until yesterday. The inside cover of some issue of X factor was an ad for Simon's quest. And I'm like, yeah, Hey, how much is this? I, I, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that one I am going to actually awesome. frame and probably put up here somewhere as I, I'm currently working on where I plan on starting a podcast soon. This is, uh, we're building a small recording studio that from my daughter and I's YouTube channel that we do, uh-huh. we'll be filming here all the time and stuff. So I'm going to fill it with retro stuff on the walls. And yeah, I, I, I wish I could quote unquote, build a studio for rediscover the eighties, but you know, what you see is what you get here in my laundry room. <laughs> Uh, I'm not uh, I've, building one. I'm just remodeling <laughs> a small room here. Okay. Me. Well, that's that's still more than I have. Well, as far but, as I've got so far as the lighting, I think I've got the lighting good for YouTube, and uh, you know, now comes the sound quality and the decorations for everything else. Right. Yeah. Or, that's what I was I was admiring before we went on the air the uh, the art he has behind him there, which features a lot of good guys and bad guys from eighties cartoons. Uh, so if you're listening to the podcast, go over to YouTube and check it out. It's, those are really cool. So, and I finally got a, I, I replaced my transformers Four movie poster with uh, a star Wars poster there. So I got to, I got to kind of even up the sides there, <laughs> there, but anyway, it's fun. And uh, I appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate uh, you bringing along the, uh, the TV guide there and, and kind of going through that and, uh, had a real blast tonight, man. I have to, I, you know, maybe next time we can do a better year of better TV shows. It'd probably be even more fun, but for what we had to work with, this has been pretty fun. Though. Well, we, I think our, uh, 
our element is is beyond TV, and we've got several areas that we love to talk about. So uh, we'll definitely have you back on, and uh, we'll get to talk about maybe something a little bit more uh, more to where we can put some real personal uh, interest behind it. I guess you'll say toys. But, uh, 1988 toys next time. I don't know how to track down what toys come out in 88, but I'm sure I bought a bunch of them, whatever they were. Yeah. Well, we might have doing the, uh, the uh, non-sports trading cards of the eighties too. I don't know. Yeah. That'd be uh, cool, you, man. you got, you got me interested in that, but anyway, appreciate you being here. You need to go follow uh, Mickey over there on Twitter at yesterdayville. Go to his website, RetroRamblings.com. What's the new podcast going to be called? It's going to be called Retro Revival. We're going to be preaching the past on Retro Revival. I love it. Retro Revival. So I'll be looking forward to uh, to hearing that. And uh, yeah, just be sure you, you follow him on those places. I know he's out there on pretty much every place that I am, Facebook and Instagram. So just search the Retro Rambler. You'll find him pretty easily. So thanks for being on the show, Mickey. Thanks, man. And uh, if you want to leave us your top five list, you can do that. You can find the show notes to this podcast over on rediscoverthe80s.com. Or you can tweet us at RD80s at Yesterdayville. And we'd love to hear your top five TV shows of 88. And uh, see if your list uh, may be a little bit better than what we come up with. But uh, until next time, this is Jason Gross signing off for Rankem on the Rediscover the 80s podcast. 80, 80.